Is it going to play? Love Talk Radio. Welcome to the third ever, or maybe fourth ever, I think, hybrid show of the Eastern Bias Hockey Podcast and BC Interruption Radio. Uh, my name is Joe Gravelisi. I am the editor of bcinterruption.com and uh, occasional co-host on BC Interruption Radio. Uh, sitting in this week for Dan Rubin, who is on hockey duty, uh, calling tonight's game between Bentley and Merrimack. So very important and exciting game that we'll keep you up to date on. Uh, this is the 41st episode of Eastern Bias, by the way, just to, so for official record-keeping purposes. And joining me this week, as he always does, uh, my co-host from the state of Maine, Shep Hayes. Um, you may know him from what used to be a BU blog called Blogging on Babcock, which is now just a Twitter. Um, at best. May, at best, it's a Twitter. It usually really isn't much of a Twitter. Uh, but wow. really, you probably best know him. Sorry. I'm sorry. It, you, you show up and post snarky comments when BC loses a football game and then just kind yeah, of disappear from it. That, that's, that's about it. Uh, so, Shep, how are we doing tonight? Uh, good, though. I honestly would be better if my post on BC Interruption tonight was was actually a snarky comment after BC lost a football game. Well, I mean, you'll probably have your opportunity in a couple of days. Oh, so. we're going to drop some zingers here. Uh, I know. I I zinged myself, so it was preemptive defense mechanism, and now you can't do it. So we're good. Uh, We are not here to talk about BC football. Uh, Thank God. Uh, We are here to talk about some college hockey. Uh, Not just BC, but all of Hockey East, except for Notre Dame. Uh, That's the mission statement of this program. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with it, we talk about all things Hockey East. We usually chat on, say, Tuesday nights, maybe Wednesday nights. Uh, Get the show up on Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah, a lot of Wednesday nights this year. Um, we Our website is at easternbias.podbean.com. And um, you can also subscribe to us on iTunes and probably Stitcher and various other uh, We're not on Stitcher. We're not on Stitcher, so don't try don't to find us on so. Stitcher. Well, maybe we are. Um, but you can find us on various purveyors of podcasts. We like to talk about all things hockey. We bring on your occasional fun guest. And we've got a number of fun guests lined up for tonight. We, uh, have we have a ton. Let's see. Well, I'll just run through it a little bit, and you can tell me if I'm missing anyone. But at 8.30, we have John Risch joining us, the play-by-play announcer for Boston College Hockey on the IMG Sports Radio Network and WEEI. So that's pretty neat. Uh, we've got is it Matt Dresens. Is that how it's pronounced? Yes, Matt Dresens. Matt Dresens from the uh, BU Hockey Blog. Uh, what time is he going to be joining us? I believe he's at 9.30. 30. We've also got... Um, who, who do we Mike have Schumann. from Maine? We had someone, Mike, Mike Schumann. Mike Schumann uh, from the he's the sports director of WMEB Radio, uh, talking about the Maine Black Bears. First of all, because they're playing BC this weekend, but also just to talk a little bit about the state of the Maine program. Uh, and we've got Mike McMahon, uh, who was nice enough to speak with us earlier in the week. It's a pre-recorded interview, and assuming that Shep can get the file to work, uh, we will be patching it into the program here as we um, work our way through. So that's a little overview of what's to come. We've got a couple hours of hockey talk ahead of us. 
Shep, why don't we just launch right into it? Um, BU, pretty pretty nice win for them on Saturday after a disappointing loss on Friday night to Merrimack. Should, should yeah, we maybe just run through the scores a little bit and then give me your yeah, thoughts on that. BU's weekend? Yeah, yeah, let's let's do that because I, I think that's that's the way we should go here. Um, so I'll I'll just rattle off results because I feel like that's how we usually do it. Um, and it gives me a chance to talk for a second. Uh, we got uh, last Thursday, um, we had Vermont winning three to two over Northeastern uh, at Northeastern. Uh, on Friday, BU, as we sort of alluded to, uh, lost four to three at Merrimack. Uh, May uh, Massachusetts won five to four against Maine in overtime. Um, BC, as many of you probably know, won four to three against Denver. Uh, Providence dropped a seven to two power on Colgate uh, at Colgate actually, and Lowell lost uh, out at Duluth, traveling out to Minnesota this weekend. Lost two to one on Friday at Duluth on I Saturday. Was- yeah, yeah, it was not not what's there, but you know what? We're we're getting to Saturday too. Saturday, and a game where our rooting interests were clearly on display. Uh, Notre Dame. Sadly, won two to one against the Ice Bus uh, up in Hartford, I believe it was. Although it could be at one of seven arenas UConn calls home. Uh, New Hampshire won four to two at Merrimack, uh, which I think that's a bit of a shock right there. Like that just doesn't seem right on a couple of levels, given the way UNH has played this year and given the way that Merrimack's been playing lately. Uh, and hopefully, we'll get to talk to Mike McMahon. If not, it will at a minimum be a bonus on the recorded version of this podcast. Um, Northeastern and Vermont tied three to three Saturday night uh, up in Burlington. Um, BU won five four against Denver in overtime, which uh, after Friday night's result, I think that's a little bit of surprise right there. Um, Pr- Princeton won three to one against Maine at the uh, Capital uh, Capital City Classic, I believe it was something like that in Trenton. The Maine UMass game was also down there as well from Friday night. Um, Providence. Won four to three against Colgate, a little bit more subdued, and also in that Capital City Classic or whatever it was called in Trenton, Yale beat UMass six to one, and then Lowell making up for Friday night, won six to three out in Duluth. Our Sunday action at the Barclays Center in New York, Notre Dame dropped an eight tour on UConn, and last night uh, at home at Conti Forum, your Boston College Eagles seven to nothing against UMass, uh, which is a bit of a bit of a not actually. Yeah, that is the highest margin of victory for hockey's team at all this weekend uh, by a single goal. Uh, so that's that's pretty good for BC. Uh, would you like to talk about BU right now, Joseph? Yeah, why don't you go ahead and launch into the Terriers? Launch into the Terriers. So um, for those of you not in the know, maybe you're sort of starting to get amped up into hockey. You're starting to maybe – and uh, you know, I'm not even saying this to troll it. Maybe you're starting to slide away from the football team, think about hockey, thinking about basketball. BU's having a, an interesting recovery year, I'd say. There's 3-3-0 overall right now, including this weekend. Uh, their losses come to Union, uh, to UConn, and to Merrimack. Those UConn and Merrimack losses were back-to-back, both on the road. Um, they also did beat Acadia in their exhibition game to start the year, and they lost 7-4 to the U.S. under-18 team on their second game of the season, their first home game. That U.S. under-18 team, though, like half of it's BU recruits. So we're all good with that. Um, they picked up wins against Wisconsin, uh, a mutual opponent with BC right there. They won four to one against that team. Uh, they did win four to two at home against UConn, and now they won five to four against Denver uh, in overtime, another mutual opponent of BC. Um, I did not watch Friday's game. I didn't feel like giving Merrimack my money, uh, but Merrimack did jump out to to a two goal lead right in the first period. They had a goal from Brett Snetty and a goal from Brett Bay. Um, then BU struck back to tie the game with goals from John McLeod and Matt Lane in the second period. Before Merrimack scored two more goals in the second period from 
probably the best name in Hockey East, Hampus Go- Uh-oh, we've hit the point where Shep can't pronounce someone's last name. Uh, Hampus Gustafsson, thank you. Um, and yep. Ethan Spaxman, that's another goal. Spaxman, that is a great last name. Uh, before BU did get one at 404 and a third from Brandon Hickey. Um, Saturday night, uh, things did go obviously a little bit better for BU. They did win the game, which is always a positive and things of that nature. Score, scoring early from Ryan Clunan, not to be conf- confused with Garrett Noonan. They are not related, I don't believe, unless if they are, it's just a freak accident, I'd say. Um, Denver tied it from Will Butcher, and then you've got a, a couple straight, some BU goals, Robbie Baergian, uh, Brandon Hickey, one goal from Denver from Gabe Levin, but then Adi Oxenen. Denver would come back to tie it in the third from Troy Terry and Quentin Shore uh, before Adi Oxenen scored the game winner just 21 seconds into overtime. I think the biggest issue, uh, and I don't think that there's anybody out there who would disagree with this, the biggest issue facing BU this year has been their goaltending. Uh, Matt O'Connor, you, if you watch the national title game, which this podcast does not always acknowledge happened, um, you may have been uh, that familiar would be with the game. Uh, I, be- I believe that was the game where Providence. What was it? Uh, five to four was the final. Four to three. Four to three. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, and Boston I university. Uh, it's you been may a be lot of with that. a lot of money in therapy for me to forget that game. Um, that uh, I lost my train of thought. But you you may have been familiar with the works of Matt O'Connor. Um, even though he had some flukes there, and he had some other flukes throughout the year. <laughs> He was a pretty consistent goaltender. I don't have a save percentage off the top of my head. But BU right now I believe is it was not 26. Yeah, like that's that's decent. I don't think that it's the best in the world, but that's pretty decent. Would you disagree with the statement? That is that was a, that's a quite a good goal. That's quite a good save percentage. Yeah, 926 right now would put him right with Western Michigan. Um, the best goaltending in the country is obviously Boston College at 964, although they're tied with Yale. This is overall team goal, goal percentage, looking at college hockey news stats. Western Michigan clocks in 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15th in the country right now at 926. So that's pretty good right, goaltending. Which, you know, it's, I spoke with Scott McLaughlin earlier in the day on the uh, WEI podcast. And I'm sorry that I did that, by the way, Shep. I don't know if I yeah. told you that I was. I, 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 I feel like it's kind of a traitorous move that we are Whoa. opposed to the. We're opposed to the existence of the podcast, but I thought it would be a nice exposure for her. I know, yeah. I know. Shame, shame. But um, you know you're right. Scott, you are right. Scott, Scott asked me to, you know, give my thoughts on BU from, I guess, across enemy lines. And basically, we kind of agreed that if BU was getting league average goaltending, they'd be a pretty decent team. And, you know, what they're getting right now is decidedly not league average. Yes, uh, they are getting... Point eight sixty five goaltending according to CHN, which would stand fifth worst in the country. The only team worse than them in high. Well, we'll go through the the worst team. The worst team in the country is Dartmouth at seven sixty nine. Shout out to Dartmouth Hockey, best Twitter account on the internet. Brown at eight hundred. And keep in mind, these teams have played one and two games respectively. Two games for Dartmouth, one game for Brown. I believe one of those Dartmouth games was a little light up. Um, American International, also friend of the program, 853. A lot of friends of the program with bad goaltending. Um, then we get to the Hockey East team worse than BU. That's Northeastern at 862. If you've paid any attention to all the Northeastern this year, you know things have not gone, been going very well for the Huskies, as seems to be fall tradition lately. Then we hit BU at 865, also Army at 865. Uh, and, and I think 
attended BC fans will know that that Army is not the best of hockey teams. So, yes, goaltending, I think, would probably be your primary issue for the Terriers. Uh, as, as I discussed with Mike McMahon last night, they, they are scoring goals. I mean, you, you know, you run down it here. Um, they, they scored five, uh, three goals against Union. That's not the worst amount in the world. It doesn't win you every game, but it, it can win a game. They scored four against the U.S. under-18 team, although that's probably not the most uh, logical of comparisons. Four against Wisconsin, four against UConn. They scored two in the second game against UConn, which probably isn't the most. And they, they scored three against Merrimack, which we've already discussed the number three, and then five against Denver. So they, they, they don't seem to be struggling to produce offense. It does seem to be that they're struggling to, uh, to produce not produce defense necessarily, but but defend the puck well. Uh, their wins, you know, that Wisconsin win and that UConn win, they were limiting goals. You know, Wisconsin scored one, UConn scored two. But then you turn around and look, UConn scored five the next night. Merrimack scored four. You know, Denver even scored four. So it's it's been a bit of time now, a couple of weeks, since they've really, uh, I'd say, kept a team to a low, a score, not scoring too many goals. And even then, they weren't the most consistent when they were doing that. So goaltending from Sean McGuire returning after a year off and Connor Lacouve uh, has not been consistent and it's been lacking. McGuire got the start on Friday night up at Lawler uh, Rink. I thought it was Arena, but it says Rink on the box score uh, and was pulled after uh, 35 minutes and 24 seconds and four goals allowed. Lacouve worked the final 22-23, didn't allow a goal, faced 12 shots. Uh, uh, yes, he faced 12 shots. McGuire faced 14 total. Um, you know, you, you look at uh, Saturday night, uh, Lacouve played the, the entire evening, 60 minutes, 21 seconds. He saved 34 shots and allowed uh, four goals. So that's sort of where that stands on, on that front. Um, there's, a, I think, a lot left to be desired there from BU's goaltending. For sure. Otherwise, uh, they seem to be doing okay, I'd say. Yeah, I would actually kind of agree with that. You know, I was thinking about BU's start to the season, and obviously it hasn't been great, but they've had a much tougher schedule than BC has. And you think about like some of the, the good teams that they have played and it's kind of overlap, you know, they both, they played Denver and so did BC. And then they played at union, which has been a, a tricky spot for hockey's teams. They quite frankly, the under 18 team is probably better than army. Uh, um, UMass. Oh, the under 18 team could like rank in pretty solidly. I think in college hockey, like that's a, yeah. that could be a tournament team. So, there's, a, there's, 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 you know, I think stuff to be at least reasonably happy about, I think, from a BU perspective. Yeah, yeah, like, it seems to be that the primary issue we'll focus on is goaltending here. You know, the replacement of Jack Eichel, which is sort of the, the narrative as we enter the season and still exists here, you know, that seems to have oh, taken a back burner. What's going on? Carry on. Slight technical okay. difficulty. Oh yeah, somebody. Ooh, something happened. Uh, but but things seem to be doing slightly okay and things like that as we work on. Um, yeah. Would you like to talk about your Eagles? Oh no, Joe, did I lose you? Oh man, I may be soloing the show right now. I've lost Joe. So you've got a BU alum sitting here uh, by himself discussing this game, uh, discuss discussing the Eagles. Oh man, this is great great radio right here. What terrible things can I say about BC? I shouldn't do that. I should probably go and talk about some of the other games that happened this weekend. 
Um, and I don't know where I was going to go, so we're just going to go go and figure it out. Uh, we will mention, you know, last night, obviously, I, I'll start talking about BC. I'll be a nice guy. Uh, last night, things seemed to go pretty, pretty well. I mean, six goals in the second period. That is is absolutely uh, insane on so many different levels. And to just see how quickly they were scored. Gilmore at 133. Uh, Jackie at 645. Savage at 811. Fitzgerald at 1116. Colin White at 1127. Teddy Doherty at 1510. Uh, that, you know, just, just a barrage of goals right there. I also, we should note, all those penalties that happened right in the middle there. Steven Icabellis, Ben Gallacher, Ryan Fitzgerald, uh, Josh Cordier, get a bunch of penalties right in the middle of the period, which which probably threw things off uh, a little bit. But I'd say that's probably a pretty good night for BC overall, something to be fairly proud of and to, to stand up against. Uh, and maybe the end of what was a pretty decent run to start the year for UMass. Uh, they, they were undefeated... I can't remember if last night was their first loss of the year, but they was pretty close to it. No, it was not their first loss of the year. They're 4-2-1. and one. They had some strong wins and seem to be pulling things together for once, which uh, is, is almost a shock when you think about UMass uh, on so many different levels. Um, I would say, uh, speaking to BC's results on Friday night, 4-3 against Denver, so another one-goal game against Denver. You know, Denver, a decent NCHC team. I believe they sit at Three, three, and zero on the year, but they've played some tough teams. You know, BC and BU. That's that's not a challenge. That should be looked down upon. Um, you open it up. Uh, Denver taking a one nothing lead from Denton Heinen. Uh, probably pronounced wrong, but whatever. He's from the West. Nobody cares. Uh, BC tying it from Miles Wood. Uh, going ahead from Teddy War- Teddy Doherty on the, the the power play. Oh, Denton Heinen scored again. So now I got to say his name again and screw it up. Then Austin Cangelosi going ahead for BC three to two. Denver tying it from Will Butcher and Maddie Gaudreau, 4-3, 19-24. That right there, sealing the deal right at the end with a game winner. Props for that right there. Uh, obviously, where goaltending has been an issue for BU, it has not been an issue for BC. Uh, they stand really, really, really good overall. I mean, I, I mentioned that 865, uh, excuse me, 964, not 865, that's BU, 964 save percentage. Uh, through seven games, they've allowed simply six goals overall. That is just a ridiculous amount uh, to to have, to have allowed. A six. There's no other team in the conference sitting at, at single-digit goals. The closest would be Lowell at ten and Merrimack at eleven. But you know the production on the other side: thirty-one goals. The only team that scored more than that. Hello, conference. Joe. You're back. I'm back. Can you hear me? I can't. I somehow managed to sit there and talk about BC and about how great the offense is by myself. Can you still hear me? I can still hear you. Awesome. So Excellent. Yes, I, I heard you the whole time, and I was tweeting at you and texting you saying, hey, I'm in the queue. Let me in. Let me in. Oh, the I see that too now. And then, you know, that didn't happen. So um, we, we yeah, good now? yeah, we're good now. Um, but I, I did okay. Did I not? Did I say anything you just you did? That was That was very nicely done. And, and I think Thank that we we will have John Rich on to talk a little bit more about BC. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. But let's talk a little bit about some of the other results that happened uh, over the weekend that wasn't hockey. So what stood out to you as particularly interesting or, or maybe surprising? I just, I, you know, I, I'm not surprised by the Lowell result. You know, split out of Duluth, I think, is probably a pretty good thing. Um, I listed what I was surprised. I said what I was surprised at, and then I, I promptly forgot it. Where was it? 
Oh, it was not Providence four to three against Colgate. It was not Notre Dame hitting eight to two. It wasn't Northeastern and Vermont tying. Uh, it was New Hampshire uh, four to two against Merrimack. And if I could get that interview with Mike McMahon up, we talk a little bit about it, but not too much about it. Um, you know, UNH, uh, they're now three two and one on the season. Uh, Merrimack three one and two. But you know, I, I think in the power polls we voted for so far. Uh, you know, myself and you guys, the hockey writers of BCI, have not felt very good about how UNH uh, is and UNH as a team. And, you know, I think we felt okay about Merrimack. I think there's the general Merrimack consensus and the sort of it's almost a meme to some degree that Merrimack, uh, not a very good hockey team uh, and will probably do its collapse. I talked to someone with, about that with Mike about uh, – I'm just teasing this interview out in case we don't get to it to some degree uh, – but about how Merrimack kind of uh, – has a lot ahead of it on the schedule and sort of has a front, an easier front loaded schedule and then a hard schedule with a lot of road trips and things like that. But yeah, you know, a a bit of a shock to to see Merriman drop this game against UNH. I I think that's the most surprising thing for me uh, out there overall. Yeah, no, I tend to agree with that. I think that it's almost, um, it, it remains a little bit surprising to me, I think, how well Merrimack is doing, although it's a little bit strange. Um, it's a little bit strange to uh, that they also then went on to lose to UNH. It's almost as though uh, hockey is random and has lots of crazy things that happen in a one-game situation. Uh, I assume you talked to Mike McMahon a bit about about Merrimack. Yes, yes, we did. We did. We, did. we talked a bit about Merrimack. Talked a good bit about Maine. So let's uh, let's run through a little bit. We didn't do a power poll on BC Interruption Radio this week. Uh, or excuse me, on BC Interruption, the blog this week. But if you had to do it, how are you ranking, say, the top six teams right now? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. I am putting Not you on the prepared. spot. Put me on the spot. I'll tell you what. I think I'll name it number one. I think BC And I think that answer might be But I think I'm going to split out there with the way they played on Saturday. Um, I think that's a, uh, that's that's appealing to me. That feels nice. Um, and then I, I think I'd probably have BC number two. Um, boy, uh, although I, the BC goaltending has been so good, maybe they should be number one. Man, now I'm just waffling back and forth here. Providence number three. Providence number three. Yeah, I think I'll go BC one, Lowell two, Providence three. Though I think you could come up with any combination of those at this point in the season and feel really good about yourself and not terrible. You know, we've, I, I think those three have clearly solidified themselves, at least to this point, and it is still very early as the top teams in the conference. Um, then we get to just this platform of three-win teams, of BU, of UConn, of Notre Dame, of Merrimack, of New Hampshire. Um, I think I, I'd rate New Hampshire probably the worst three-win team and perhaps uh, perhaps even below Vermont, a two-win team. You know, Vermont's played some tough opponents in Omaha and North Dakota. They've played them at home. But they have still played tough opponents. You know, those are those are again other top teams in the NCHC, which is the top conference out west. Take that, Big Ten. Um, I, I might even rank Merrimack behind Vermont. Uh, Notre Dame sort of falling in there as well. Um, UConn, boy, I'm not giving you a straight answer here. And I got to do with the UMass situation before. I'm enjoying hearing you waffle. Yeah, well, I'm sort of like I'm sort of feeling it out. This is how it happens when I actually do it. Here's the thing: your worst team is Maine. Like we've we're, we've established that Maine is the worst team in the conference. Do not have yes. a win. 
Do not have a win yet. So that that's clear. Number 12 is Maine. Your top three. Do we need to do a win while Maine at their first win pool? So we're seven games into the seeds. They've played seven games. It's getting close here. It's getting pretty close. Should we pull up their schedule? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's pull up their schedule. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. let's see. Who do they play in the next two games? <laughs> they played two at BC. Then the next weekend they go home and home with Lowell. And the next weekend they have Vermont at home. I'm not feeling really good about the, uh, about Maine at all right now. <laughs> it could be. You know what? Let's let's do it. You want to start the pool tonight, create a Google spreadsheet like you did for Northeastern last week, and uh, the winner of who picks successfully when Maine wins their first game gets, I don't know. An appearance on the show? Yeah, an appearance on the show. Do they get a full episode or like a five-minute hit? Just an extended hot As long take as they want to be on the show. So if they only want to be on for 10 seconds, they get 10 seconds. If they want to be on for the whole show, they can be on for the whole show. That That is a maximum of one show, though. Do not try to turn this into third third co-host here. There yes. are people who will try that. Um, so you get you get one show at max, but you get as long as you want um, on that one show. We cap the show at two hours. Um, yeah, it's – oh, God. Even after that, they got Princeton. You know, it's – Princeton's probably bad, but it's too early to tell for them because the Ivy League starts late. Then they go home and home with UNH to start the month of December. And then they play two more neutral. They play four games in a row against UNH, including the neutral site games, which are actually after Christmas. There's at least some break there. But oof, that's not a good schedule. That is a bad schedule. So they're 12. They're straight up. Thank you for giving me a straight answer, but not about the top six. But not about the top six. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, and take a crack at it. Okay. And by the way, I, please, since you logged into the program first, you have control of the queue. By the way, so be on the lookout for John Rish to be dialing in. I will do and, that. And uh, um, make sure you answer his call. Others could call in at six four six two hundred zero zero four six four four six. I screwed that whole number up. Six four six two. Zero 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 four four six. We're gonna to talk to John in about five minutes anyway. So you know what? You can you could wait till after that, but we'll get some time in for calls because we're we're nice people. All right, Joe, it's your time. All right, it's my time. I had picked UMass Lowell as number one in my first two polls, but as much as I want to sandbag, I've got to put BC at number one right now. Uh, they lead the league. Actually, you know what? They don't lead the league in goals scored. They are second in the league in goals scored by one goal, Providence. But they lead the league in goals allowed, obviously. The fewest goals allowed with six um, in seven games. So at this point, even despite the easy schedule, you're going to put them in slot number one. I'll take Lowell at number two and Providence at number three, even though it's really difficult to not pick Providence number two right now since the defending national champion, it looks so good. I just think Lowell, they're my pick to really make a deep run this year. And then, okay, it gets tricky, but I am, going, where it gets to hard. B- I am going to stick with BU at number four. Wow. I don't think I would do that. Well, he- here's the thing. Vermont would have been probably my – they were my initial pick to be number five, and they're two, four, and one. Okay. That's fair. The other teams that actually have above-water records right now, right, UMass, who I don't think much of, 
yeah. UNH, who again, I don't think they're that good. <clears throat> and then Merrimack always seems to have a good start to the season. And, you know, Notre Dame is Notre Dame. So I think I'm going to stick with BU at number four, even though I think they're clearly a cut behind those top three teams right now. Yes. Then I'm going to put, I guess I'm going to put Notre Dame. And then, I don't know. Uh, then give me Merrimack. Yeah. 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 This is where I hit the hit the wall, too. Because it's not I, like they – there were a few seasons where Merrimack, like, went off to a great start, but they beat, like, Army, and then they beat Bentley, and then they beat, you know, St. Michael's College. But, like, they've had a couple decent wins this year. You know, they beat BU. They beat Clarkson and St. Lawrence. Um, you know, they're off to a decent start. And we have breaking uh, a breaking score, actually. You know what? This might oh. change – We've got Merrimack one, Bentley one at the end of two uh, at the J at the jar. Uh, Merrimack scored first to take a one nothing lead in the first period on a goal by Matt Cronin. Uh, Max French for Bentley tied it up late in the second period. So uh, one to one, Bentley looking to beat a hockey East opponent for the third time this season, uh, with the first two being, of course, Northeastern. Who uh, Northeastern I would rank probably uh, definitely above Maine. I think I would honestly rank Northeastern, even though they've been pretty bad, above UNH and UMass. I would agree with that. And, you know, it's worth noting, and granted, this was the case last year with Northeastern, too, so it's starting to become a trend. But in terms of shots, they look pretty good. I think they're actually one of the top ten teams in the country in terms of shot attempts. Yeah, uh, they are generating some offense there. Yeah, so just raw shot attempts, which I'm going to look at that number just because – uh, the teams that lead in percentage, um, it's skewed by the teams that have only played like one or two games. It is. Looking at Northeastern, yeah, Northeastern is indeed top ten in the country at that with uh, 496 shots. Do we have a? Do we have our guest on the line? Uh oh, my window just compressed, but no, we do not. Okay. Yeah, I see. I see a number that just dialed in. So we're gonna. Shall we, shall we just tap him right in? Tap him right in. Tap him right in. I'll let you. I'll let you introduce everything. Here we go. All right. Uh, hello. Do we have John? Uh, it's it's being slow. Oh no. Okay. There we go. Hello, John. How you doing, guys? Great, great, John. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so the you, we are live on BC Interruption Radio uh, with the Eastern Bias Podcast. It's a it's a mashup of two shows tonight. And uh, we've got joining us John Risch, the play-by-play voice of the Boston College Eagles. Let's see if I get the name of this right. On the BC IMG Sports Radio Network. That sounds about right. I got to write it down every game because I'd never get it right if I didn't. So you can listen to John Risch's broadcasts usually on WEEI 850 AM. Uh, Sometimes it's a web exclusive on bceagles.com. Uh, we will always keep you updated on BC Interruption as to where you can find the games on your dial. Uh, but it's great to have John with us. If I if I remember re- correctly, you were away from calling the games for a couple seasons and came back recently. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. There were a couple years where I was working full-time for Intercom, which was the parent company of WEEI, and then the game switched over to 98.5. So that kept me from doing the games for most of two years, and I really missed it, so I'm, I'm glad to be back. It's it's good to have you back. You know, your voice is definitely recognizable with some great moments from BC. 
And uh, I think that, you know, it's been a good partnership for the past. How, how, how many years have you been on the broadcast? Well, geez, uh, my first year was 97, 98, and I did color that year. And then for the 98, 99 season, I slid over and did play-by-play and have been doing it almost ever since. So basically, you started right around the time that the run of BC making the deep run almost every year started. So really, was it Jerry York or was it you? Yeah, that, no, it was all Jerry York. And, and as Jerry will quickly point out, it's a lot of good players along the way as well. Now, I've seen a lot of different uh, faces of Boston College hockey. When I came to BC as a student, as a freshman, my freshman year, I was there for the hemline. So, you know, I saw I saw Hines and Emma and McGinnis and Garen and Brown, and they were all that, that first year that I came on campus. And I thought, wow, this is great. It's going to be like this every year. And then they all graduated or left or went to play uh, for the Olympic team. And the next few years were pretty lean. I had no idea it would go as low as it did. And then it just so happened, as fate would have it, I came back and got involved in the broadcast just as things were heading in the right direction. For sure. And uh, I think that things seem to be heading in the right direction this year for BC. Uh, certainly by most program standards, last year was not a bad one to make the NCAA tournament and uh, fall out in the first round. But there's high hopes, I think, for this team. And even though they've played a bit of a soft schedule, you can see, and I'm sure that you can probably see from, from the booth, that this this team certainly has a big edge over last year's in terms of just speed in their game and overall offensive ability. Absolutely. There is a, a, a very big difference between this year's team and last year, and it's not just one thing. It's several things. I mean, the, the one thing that jumps out at you right away is the depth. You know, they were starved for scoring opportunities. They were starved for offense last year. And you were asking a lot out of freshmen and sophomore players who had never been in the position where they were being counted on to produce points night in and night out. Now all of those players are sophomores and juniors, and you have complemented them with another influx of talent as freshmen. And so they have a lot of balance uh, all through their forward lines, and that makes a huge difference. But... The other huge difference is Thatcher Demko. I don't think Thatcher Demko was ever really 100% healthy last year. You know, of course, he had the off-season surgery. He looks completely healthy right now. Thatcher Demko, to me, looks better than he ever has since he stepped on campus. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very noticeable. I, I think that the biggest difference I think that I've seen with Demko is that you haven't seen him make a big highlight reel save yet this season, and it's because he haven't he hasn't had to. You know, he's just he seems to gobble up everything, prevent rebounds, be in the right position at all times. Well, and that's his game. I mean, he is a big goaltender. He plays the position properly. He's always in position, and if you're always in position, you're not going to have to be diving all over the place to make what might look like a highlight reel save. It's not that he hasn't faced good shots. Now, granted, maybe he hasn't faced that many of them, but he's still faced some good shots, and he's he's looked very, very good. For sure. Uh, and someone else who's looked very, very good is Miles Wood. Um, I mean, it's it's tough to find ex- the words exactly to say what he's meant to the team because you can make the argument that with the impact he's had on Callum and Cangelosi that he might be the most valuable forward right now on the team. Yeah, I agree. He only has one speed, and that's high speed. I mean, he is always 
moving. I think he surprises, at least at this point in the season, his opponents at how aggressive he is on the forecheck um, and, and how fast he is. I mean, he's a big kid. You know, so to combine that tenacity, that size, and that speed, that is a rare combination. You see him play this year, you can't help but think, boy, that guy could have helped Boston College last year, which I guess at one point in time was at least a, a consideration, a possibility. But right now, he's the most impactful freshman they have on their team. And there's some pretty good freshmen on this team, but he is the most impactful. Some of that, I think, has to do with his age and his maturity. That helps him a lot. But, boy, he is a dynamic player to watch. I couldn't help but think last night, you look at the way the power play combinations have gone so far this season, and Miles Wood is not, at least as of right now, on one of your top two power play units on a regular basis. Ryan Fitzgerald, unfortunately, was out of the game last night, so Wood saw some power play time after Fitzgerald left. But that gives you an idea of the depth of this team, the experience of this team, as good as Wood is playing, right now he can't crack the top six in the power play. Yeah, that is interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. Of course, one of the things about Miles Wood is that what's so great about his game is less maybe cycling in the zone and more just the way he can hit you on the rush. And so maybe stylistically he's not considered a power play guy, but it's true. The Eagles do have a lot of weapons offensively, and it is interesting to see. Now, obviously, one dynamic that's changed in the last couple of weeks, and we certainly won't dwell on the fact that Jeremy Bracco is not with the program anymore, but just talk about how it impacts the team moving forward. You go from having three full lines um, of all players that were you know, NHL draft picks to you know, now that that third line, I guess as it may be, you slot Matt Gaudreau in there, and uh, he is someone who's maybe expected to be more, be more of a bottom six player maybe not considered an NHL prospect, but you know what? He's passed his first two tests with on the line of that win. Well, you know, I've seen a lot of good players over the years at Boston College that were not pro prospects turn out to be pretty good college hockey players, and I think Goudreau could be one of those guys. You know, a couple of years ago, when he worked his way in the lineup occasionally, he looked a little out of place, and when guys would get him, boy, he was so small he would really get hit hard. You're not seeing him get hit hard as much anymore. It's not that he's grown a whole heck of a lot over the last couple of years. He's just a smarter player, a more experienced player. How is he going to fit on the third line? I think we need to wait a little bit and see. It's only been a couple of games. But so far, he's looked good. More important to me is not so much how Goudreau is going to do on the third line because I think he'll be just fine. It's how is his replacement on the fourth line going to do because they had a situation where they could roll out four lines. They could put out that fourth line in most situations and feel comfortable. Now, in the last couple of games, Travis Jacobs looked perfectly fine in that spot. Again, though, very small sample size. I'd like to see how that moves forward. Uh, Brennan Silk has been out with the injury. We don't really know what his long-term status is going to be. So Gaudreau was going to be in the lineup as a fourth-line guy. It's not really him I'm concerned about. It's the guy who is going to take Gaudreau's spot who is not expected to be in the lineup at all on a regular basis. That's the impact that I want to see, how that shakes out over the long haul. For sure. And I think that, you know, Jake, again, it's only been two games, but he's played well in that role too. I thought he had a pretty decent game on Friday against Denver. And then obviously he got the goal last night. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought he did good work along the boards. He has a kind of sneaky shot, a quick release, better than you might expect. 
He hasn't had a lot of opportunity over the course of his career, but again, he's a guy that's been around a while, and sometimes those seniors, you might not expect a whole lot out of them, but because of that experience, when they get in the lineup, they're ready to go. For sure. So one more thing that I want to, you know, I guess rave about from the start of the year, and then I'll talk a little bit about maybe what some of BC's concerns could be. Uh, I think I've always, I've been a huge fan of Doherty, you know, since his freshman year. Uh, I kind of said that, I don't know, maybe it's just because he took over the same number and position as, as Tommy Cross coming in as a freshman. And so it just made me inclined to, to think good things about him, but and not, not saying that he's the same player, obviously, but he has some of that. He, he brings some of that kind of mentality to the game, and he, he strikes me. Obviously, I'm not in the locker room, but he strikes me as a really good leader for this team. The kind of the type of player and the type of person who's traditionally been a leader on BC teams that have won championships, and he is getting better and better as a hockey player each and every season. Yeah, I think he is a character guy. I think that's a good observation, and I don't think you have to look back very far. You know, a couple of years ago, Doherty was having a difficult time just getting into the lineup. And I'm sure in his mind, and a lot of other people's minds, he deserved more playing time. But he didn't get down. He was still that same team guy. And then when the opportunity came, he made sure that he was ready and he seized that opportunity. Now, I'm not so sure I want to see Teddy Doherty out on the penalty kill a whole lot or in a very difficult defensive situation. I think his game is more oriented to the offensive part of the game, but I think he is a valuable player, but I really like his character. I like his perseverance. You know, I think he's a perfect captain. Yeah, I would agree. So let's talk about, while we have you for a couple minutes, um, things that might be concerns for BC down the road. Because obviously things look great right now, but they have played a soft schedule. Interestingly, if you look at the way the schedule breaks down for the rest of the semester, they kind of have a pretty soft schedule the whole rest of the way. And I mean, it's hockey and anything can happen and teams might go dip up and down in the next couple of weeks. But you look at games coming up, they've got Maine twice. They've got Michigan State, you know, UConn, RIT, um, quite a few games between now and the end of the semester that you would think that BC, you know, would expect to win the way they're playing right now. And so it might take a while for us to really know what this team has when they're being battle tested when you when you reach that stretch of the season in late December and early January where they play Providence possibly three times in a row uh, and they play BU twice. And I think that's really where we're going to learn a lot about them. Uh, I think that's also yeah. where we're going to see um, guys that have played really well right now above expectations to me. I think topping that list would include Scott Savage as well as the two freshman defensemen in Fitzgerald and Couturier. You know, how well do, we, do you think they're going to hold up when you reach that teeth at the schedule? Yeah. I mean, there's two there's, there's two different ways you can go, right? So as far as concerns go, the biggest concern now – for Boston College, and this is a concern for most teams, but I think even more so for the Eagles is injury, right? They don't really have as much margin for error because they're one top-level player short. So if something were to happen and they were to lose another top-level player, they have a little less depth than they thought they were going to have to start the season. The guys that are in the lineup are incredibly balanced, but there's just not a whole lot of depth there. So they couldn't sustain many significant injuries. And I, you could say that about a lot of teams, but that that's one major concern for them. As far as the schedule goes, I mean, this speaks to two different things. One is you figure out your non-conference games a long time ahead of time, and you just 
Jerry York takes the approach that he tries to schedule as many big-name traditional programs as he can, and then how are you to know three or four years ago that Wisconsin is not going to be what Wisconsin usually is or that Colorado College is going through a down year, Michigan State. I mean, these are all perennial programs. You put them on your non-conference schedule, you figure you're going to get tested, and that really hasn't happened the way you would expect so far this year. And then there's the conference itself, right? You've got three or four teams at the top of the conference. If you include Lowell in the list of BU, BC, and Providence College, that's four. And then what else is there? I'm not really sure yet. I mean, we haven't seen them all, but there's a whole bunch of teams who could say, hey, we've got a shot at finishing fifth. Okay, that's great, but are any of them any good? I mean, really any good? Any any of them really NCAA quality teams and I'm not really sure about that right now, and I don't really like saying that about Hockey East because I think Hockey East is a great conference, but top to bottom this year, they're really top-heavy. You've got those teams at the top who I think can play with anybody, but after that, I'm not sure who's going to test Boston College. I mean, quite frankly, UMass just looked awful last night. They had a couple of spurts, but as soon as they faced adversity, they just fell apart. Yeah, and um, quite a few teams, I think, certainly look pretty shaky to start the season. You know, Maine obviously being one of them coming up this weekend. Um, and you're right, that is going to be an interesting thing to play out because hockey generally has been pretty deep year in and year out. And maybe it will prove to be once again. I think Northeastern's probably better than they've shown so far. Uh, Vermont is better than they've shown so far. Uh, but it is going to be, I think, those top three teams and maybe top four if you include BU or the teams that are contend for a tournament spot. I don't think you're going to roll five or six deep there. And so that, that could be a concern uh, as the season goes on. Um, so we'll let you go in a minute. I appreciate your time. But just, uh, you know, maybe just any other observations from the last two games, Denver and UMass, um, for this BC team and how you think that they're going to maybe carry that forward going into the stretch of games where they have Maine twice and then Michigan State. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of an odd schedule right now because you've had, uh, you know, a, a Friday game against Denver and then a Tuesday night against UMass, which I thought, you know, historically is like a traditional trap game. But BC didn't fall into that trap at all. And then you've got Friday night, Sunday afternoon with Maine. So this, this eight-day stretch of four games is kind of an odd schedule for Boston College. But one of the things that has really struck me in the early going, and Andy and I mentioned this during the broadcast last night, was this is a very emotional team. They seem very close-knit. You know, when they beat Denver on Friday night, the reaction at the end of the game, the way in which everybody flew off the bench and stormed Thatcher Demko, I mean, you would have thought they won the beanbot with the way they reacted. And I don't mean that as a criticism. I mean that as a compliment. You know, sometimes the Eagle fans and the Eagle players get very used to even spoiled by their success. That didn't happen last year quite as much as everybody was used to. This year's group seems very, very motivated, very into it, very emotional. And they seem like a very tight-knit group. And I think that's a very good sign going forward. Definitely. I think that's actually what I, the last thing I meant to mention that just sort of forgot to over the course of the conversation is that my one other big takeaway from this Eagles team this year 
is that they've been feisty <laughs> right on down to yeah. Ryan Fitzgerald picking up a game disqualification yesterday, which you don't really like to see because they're going to be without him on Friday. But I almost don't mind it, you know, that they, they're a team that's willing to stand up for one another. And, you know, historically in, you know, re- in recent seasons and also really throughout Jerry York's run, they've been one of the smaller and younger teams uh, in college hockey. Um they're not so small anymore. They've got a lot of six-foot players. I think they're like the 11th tallest team size-wise in this country, but they are still the youngest team. But uh, it's definitely been noteworthy that they're you know, not going to back down from a challenge for anyone physically. Yeah, there's two other things I would mention before uh, we wrap this up. And, and one is Alex Tuck. He's had a very slow start. He's still looking for his first goal. He's had some opportunities. He's had some shots. He's missed the net a lot. But if you would have told me at this point of the season, seven games in, and Alex Tuck has yet to score a goal, I would have said, wow, BC's in big-time trouble. So the fact that they are where they are right now and scoring the way they are, and Alex Tuck doesn't have a single goal, call me crazy, but I, I think that's actually a good thing. Maybe not for Tuck personally, but it illustrates that this team does not need one player to generate offense, to score goals, they can be successful. And I think it is just a matter of time for Tuck. He will get his points sooner or later. And and the other guy that I've noticed so far this season is Steve Santini. Last year, he really was never the same player from the injury. We kept waiting for Santini to be, quote-unquote, Steve Santini. I don't think that ever happened. I don't think that was even the case all the way up through March. I mean, this was a guy who was a a world junior quality player before the injury. This year, Steve Santini looks completely healthy and looks like the more experienced version of the player that I remember as a freshman. Defensively, that's a huge lift for BC. Definitely. Well, John, I really want to appreciate, I really appreciate you coming on and I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show. All right. My pleasure, guys. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. You too. All right, so that was John Risch, uh, Boston College hockey play-by-play announcer uh, on the IMG Sports Radio Network and WEI 8.50 a.m. I believe he's the second play-by-play announcer to have joined us uh, in the history of the program. Is that right? Yes, uh, I believe Bernie Corbett is the only other play-by-play. Well, Dan, Dan's a play-by-play announcer. That's true, Dan, uh, the voice of the Bentley Falcons. So The Bentley we, Falcons, we still... by the way. Uh, while, while we were talking to John... Things not going so well for the Bentley Falcons. Um, things going pretty, pretty bad, actually. The last score I saw was 5-1, to one, I believe. Yes, 5-5-1 five, five to one in favor of the Merrimack Warriors. So does that impact your position in the power poll at all? Totally. Merrimack's number one now. They're, Merrimack is as, number one. As uh, Joe Maloney might say, they are a really good team. Merrimack is a really good team. Yeah, we're still saying that. It's been a year since that happened, and we're still saying And yet that. we're still talking about it. Hey, I, you, I believe you mentioned that we had a caller on the line. Is that we do have a caller on the line. We do have a caller on the line, and they've been holding for 11 minutes and 35 seconds, so we're going to let them in right now. Here we go, live on the air on Eastern Bias on BCI Radio. How are you tonight? Hey, guys. I'm doing great. This is Bill. Uh, uh, great show. I really enjoyed listening uh, to Rich. Um you know, I guess just a couple comments. One, I'm glad he brought up Alex Tuck because I can't figure out for the life of me what's wrong with him. I mean, he is uh, – I don't think he's played well. I don't think he has done anything. I think that he is uh, – you know, 
a huge concern. I hope they I hope they can figure it out. I think it uh you know, is disappointing to say the least. Um that's one observation. Second observation would be Miles Wood, and this would have been my question for John Rich. I think he's been a huge surprise. I, I'm, I'm amazed that he's not getting really much power play time at all. I think he's probably the leading goal scorer, certainly right up there. So that would be sort of observation number two. And then the third observation would just be Demko. You know, I don't know how they feel about uh, – you know, coming back from injury, I don't know what their backup situation is with Birdsall or anybody else, but I, you know, I just hope that they have a plan in place to try to keep him healthy because he is just fantastic. And if he's healthy, and and you know, this thin lineup can stay healthy for the rest of the year, I just don't see. Put it this way, it's going to be really hard for anybody to beat this team if he's playing well and and. You know, everybody else is healthy. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but uh, it's going to be awfully hard for somebody to beat them. They just they just look fantastic. So They do look good. So a couple things on your observations. I would say that with, insofar as what the plan is for Thatcher Demko's health, I think the plan is you better hope he's healthy. <laughs> I think that's the plan. I, <laughs> well, but but the but my point is you gotta you gotta have a backup goalie. I, I just don't think he can go every game. And um, well, I'd be shocked if that is really what they're gonna do. But if he's, you know, if he's playing against UMass, and he's probably gonna play against Maine. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not an expert with that injury, but I just, I just would really be shocked if their plan is to play every game, have him play. Every yeah, game. I, I think there's something to that. Um, I think that if if we don't see Birds off of one of these two Maine games, given that Maine is winless right now, and it'll be the you know, fourth game in nine in eight days for BC or nine days, um, we're probably not going to see him uh, for a period of time. And I think that that co- it comes down to a couple things to me. You know, first of all, I think that this team clearly, you know, as Demko goes, so go they. Um, I think Birdsall, unfortunately, you don't want to bury a kid based on one bad exhibition game, but he was just frankly not good uh, against the University of New Brunswick. You know, it's con- yeah, I didn't it's see it, but that New Brunswick team is very, very good. That that was – they were very good. You know what? Here's a good question. New Brunswick, where would they finish in Hockey East this year? You <laughs> could make, I think they might finish fourth based on what I've seen. I think probably higher, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just don't know if that's fair to make that decision with Birdsall. I mean, obviously they're seeing him practice and – they're the coaches. They know what they're doing. But it just—it's scary to me that, you know, we could be, we have a we have a lineup that could certainly win another national championship. But I, I just I just don't think uh, playing every game, coming back from that injury, makes a lot of sense. But that's just that's just me. No, I, I tend to think you're right. Although I will say, I believe it's a very similar injury and a similar surgery that John Hughes had, uh, with pretty similar timing. And he did come back and actually play every minute of every game that next season. And yeah. BC won the national championship. So yeah, so you know, That's maybe a good point. Just, yeah, uh, there's some weak teams. I mean, Maine. You know, I don't think Maine will do much. I don't know how many shots UMass had, but I mean, he's gonna. They're gonna have some opportunities to rest him. I just hope they. I hope they go careful. For sure. Uh, all right. I know. As as to Alex Tuck. Um, I agree it's disappointing that he hasn't scored yet and you would expect him to. I think 
a couple of things just stand out to me for that. First of all, the last few games he's actually, I think he's been better. He had a, he had five shots in yesterday's game, four shots on Friday night against Denver, um, both times amongst the team's leaders. I think that a couple of things have held him back. Um, first of all, he was on that line with Bracco in the opening weekend that seemed like it was supposed to really be BC's number one line uh, when you had Tuck, Sanford, and Jeremy Bracco, and that's what you rolled out. Um, but obviously, Bracco was not necessarily great for his first you know, for his first four games out of his five of his BC career, and that didn't I think, help. I think he was better than Tuck. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, I think another thing that's impacting that Gilmore, Sanford, and Tuck combination right now is the fact that they've shifted Sanford to center. I actually find it really interesting, and I, I don't know why they're doing it, but they have the same line that was together all of last year with Gilmore at center and Sanford on the wing, and this year they flip-flopped it and uh, and put Sanford at center. Um, yeah, that's a I, good point. I never thought I, of that. I don't know why. I, my understanding is that Sanford's always been considered more of a center uh, and that they thought that it would be better to kind of ease him in on the wing last season, and that's how they would bring him into the, bring him into the team. And now this year that he has a little bit more experience under his belt, they moved him back to his normal position of center. Of course, but what you've done now is you have two guys that are getting used to different roles and different positions. Yeah. Gilmore has been moved to the wing. Uh, again, I, I'd be interested in knowing, and maybe I probably should have asked John Rich this, you know, why they, they flip-flop those two positions. But I think that could be a factor, too, in getting that line going. But I will say, I don't, I don't really think that, unless Tuck is hurt, which is possible, uh, you know, I don't, I wouldn't consider him one of my long-term concerns with this team. I think that just with the talent that he has, he's due to to, to break out and score some goals eventually. I hope you're right. I think the you know the the odds so too of, well. the, the, Thank- the odds of them being worried about uh, concerned about him leaving going to the NHL next year. I think <laughs> I think it's a pretty safe bet he ain't going anywhere. Well, we'll see. The flip side of that argument would be if he does go on a tear. And, and leaves after the season, it's probably because he did some pretty special things for the rest of the season and helped the team, you know, make a pro well, so, well, you're 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 an optimist. I, I I don't I don't see that, but I hope you're right. Obviously, I hope you're right. All right. Well, we will, we shall see. I appreciate appreciate the call. Thank you for joining. Okay. Us. Yeah. Great show. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. Bye bye. So, um, what what's the number for folks to call? Oh, the number for folks to call in if you would also like to join us is six four six two hundred. 0446 again that's 646 200 0446 um we do have some more guests joining us have we had any success uploading the audio of Mike McMahon no so I've decided I've made an executive decision Joseph and I apologize if you disagree with this but it's my executive decision the audio with Mike McMahon is going to be uploaded with the archived podcast version of this uh, as a special bonus um, so easternbias.podbean.com. I'm probably going to be nice and put it at the beginning, but I may be mean and put it at the end. I think I'll put it at the beginning uh, beforehand, and we'll let that sort of contextualize some of it. But so you get a little little extra bonus audio with Mike McMahon, about 25 minutes actually, but we don't have space to fit it in, and it won't upload. So that's where we stand at this point. I'm sorry. That's totally fine by me. So we've got 15 minutes until our next guest. Um, you did give us. The, would you like to give us a quick rundown of who scored for Merrimack in that Merrimack Bentley game? 
Yes. Um, I am slightly unprepared for that, as always. But you know what? I can do it in a heartbeat if I just hit some buttons. Uh, so it's 5-1 still, to the best of my knowledge, uh, with just a little bit left in the third. Um, you had Matt, Matt Cronin scoring first for Merrimack at 18:44 in the first. Uh, Max French scoring for Bentley at 19:27 in the second. And then in the third, it's really just all been the Warriors. Hampus Gustafson at 144 for Merrimack. Justin Hassar at 333. Matt Cronin at 433. And Michael Babcock at 627. So, uh, yeah, pretty good time right there, I'd say. Wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I guess Merrimack is well on their way to making their climb up the poles. Yep, standing at 16 right now, 17 last week, could be 13 next week. Do you want to uh, – all right, so let's, let's – what, what what games have we not touched on from the past weekend? Uh, well, we didn't talk about Notre Dame at all, and as much as we don't like to do it, they did beat the Ice Bus twice, um, and that second time That's was sort of – That's the second consecutive fashion. season, by the way, the second consecutive season where Notre Dame and UConn played at a neutral site. And Notre Dame beat the crap out of UConn. I mean, eight two is just kind of a blitzen, um, and it was a conference game. So somebody gave up a conference home game for that. I believe it was probably UConn uh, at the Barclays Center. Uh, attendance was listed at three thousand and fourteen. Do you buy that, Joseph? Uh, I did not watch that game, so I'm going to have to assume that. I mean, quite. It would be pretty sad to make up attendance and have it be three thousand in an eighteen thousand seat arena. That would be pretty, pretty rough. Uh, Notre Dame, though, just blowing the lights out in the first period. Score, scoring three goals right there. They score a fourth. UConn gets on the board at 14:38 in the second, so they're digging deep. Um, and uh, then another three goals, four goals before finally UConn go at 10:18 to, to put that two up on the board there. Rob Nichols got pulled. Rob Nichols got pulled, y'all, after allowing. Uh, well, he only allowed seven. Technically, the empty net allowed eight, according to the box score, which is an interesting fact. But he, play, he played about 40 minutes. They let Tanner Creel play about 10 minutes. Creel faced about eight shots uh, made, and made eight saves. Nichols faced, oh, I think that's probably 29 shots or something of that nature and let a, a, a big old seven in, uh, plus one little weird empty net there and things like that. If I recall correctly, last year, Nichols – save percentage was basically like 960 in most games, but then there were a couple of games where they got completely destroyed and uh, that sunk it down to like not being in the lead. Am I, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, something like that. I mean, for a good chunk of it, Nichols really was actually the ice bus. The ice bus was not a larger entity to some degree. It really was just, just Nichols. Um, if we look at if we look at the uh, first game of the weekend, I believe it was Saturday night, although it might have been Friday night if I'm getting my days wrong here. Uh, Jordan Gross scored on the power play for Notre Dame, six, just 16 seconds into the second period uh, to open the scoring. Miles Gendron scored for UConn even strength at 5:05, and then at 12:36 in the third, the game winner was scored by Sam Hur. Um, Cal Peterson in net for that one as well. Nichols playing the playing pretty much the whole evening except for some random empty net times. Uh, UConn lodged a grand total of 15 shots in that game. So I've got a quick game for you. Okay. okay. I'm going to read gonna you. Fail. Okay. Probably. It's not pronounced the names of players on these teams. Well, you know, we're already off to a good start. I'm going to read you the undefeated, excuse me, the winless teams in college hockey right now. And you're going to tell me which team is going to be the last one to finally win a game. Okay. I'm ready. 
These are the All right. Teams in college hockey. Winless teams in college hockey. We've got Army at 04 and 1. Really? Niagara, 05 and 1. Well, they're bad. AIC, 0 and 8. You've got. And now these Ivy League teams, they started late, but you've got Brown at 0 and 1 and Dartmouth at 0 and 2. I'm not going to say either one of them. In Hockey East, you've got Maine at 04 and 3. In the NCHC, you've got Colorado College at 0 and 8. And that's it. Those are your those are your winless teams in college hockey. Who is going to go winless the longest? It's going to be Maine or Niagara. Niagara lost to the Canadian team, and they lost. It was not a good team. Like, it wasn't like, oh, well, we lost to New Brunswick, or we lost to, like, St. Francis Xavier. We lost to Acadia. We lost to a team whose name you might have heard at some point in your life. No, no, no. They lost to, like, the Ontario Institute of Fashion Technology or something like that. Um, like, like it literally sounded like a school they would have made up for South Park. Um, I think uh, – I think it's going to be Niagara or Maine. Um, man, Colorado College is bad, though. Maine's at least yeah, got they, the benefit of ties. And one, quote-unquote, a game against North Dakota that qualifies into those ties there, even though that win was in a shootout that meant nothing and didn't even determine the winner of the tournament they were playing in. Now, let me give a little uh, shout-out to Colorado College as possibly being the team to go the longest without a win. What's their schedule look like up ahead here? This weekend, the Gold Pan matchup against Denver, uh, home and away. And then next, and then oh, I didn't even notice this. Next week they're off. Praise. And then the week after know, that, November November twentieth and twenty first, they play Minnesota Duluth twice. All I'm going to say to Colorado College is, you better win the bye week. So we're looking at a situation where they so then they play Air Force the Friday and Saturday after Thanksgiving. You I think it is very reasonable to think that Colorado College might go until after Thanksgiving without winning a uh, college hockey game, which I believe is what Northeastern did last year, if I recall correctly. It was pretty far. It was pretty far. Our poll will stay at Maine because Maine is the hockey East team here and hockey East is all that matters uh in the entire universe. Uh, and you can tell them all I said that. Um, but, oh, God, that, that's pretty bad for Colorado College. You know, like Niagara almost gets the benefit of it in that, you know, they play in Atlantic hockey. There are other bad teams in Atlantic hockey. Someone will flub something up right there. Um, but, oh, that's bad. That's a rough schedule. If they have, and you know, it's a rough schedule on the whole too. I mean, playing playing two against BC, you know, I mean, they have not had an easy road so far this year. Just 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 think about those teams that are up ahead and think about what they played in the past. I believe they played two against Lowell as well, or something to that nature. Those are not. Oh no, they played two against UMass. Maybe they did play two against Lowell too. Those are all like good teams. I mean, like UMass, not terrible. Granted, that's partly because they played Colorado College that so were saying that about them. But like UMass, not as terrible as they've been to some degree. Um, though they got the, the doors blown off them last night. Uh, but oh man, things are things are looking looking tight ahead right here. Uh, if you've got hot takes on Colorado College, six four six two hundred zero four four six. We won't put them on the air because, as we said before, hockey is the only thing that matters. Um, Took a lot. Do we have any hot takes on the hot take hotline this week? Uh, if we did, I can't upload them because it won't let me upload anything. So uh, we may have. 
We did skip one last week on the American Sports Network, except I don't think it loaded. By the way, folks, can I use this broader platform to say some things about the uh, about the American Sports Network again? Not to beat Absolutely. a dead horse. Guys, 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 guys. If you think that the quality of this podcast is poor, and you should, we're great people, uh, then let me tell you. And I'm talking exclusively about Eastern Bias, BC Interruption Radio, a strong podcast. Uh, let me tell you, the American Sports Network, if we're on the third floor, they're in the basement. It might even be worse. In fact, if we're in the basement, they're in sub-basement six. They are down there. They are underground. They are in a world you didn't even know existed. Uh, just just not a good thing. However, we know how to fix this. You need to write your local legislator and you need to tell them that you want the Eastern Bias Intermission Report to be added to all the American Sports Network games. Then you'll get a good dose of me and Joe, and we can bump that production value up a strong amount. I have a microphone. That's all that matters, right? Definitely. Good. So and I got that, that out. Be better. By the way, all right. Since we're going to complain about the uh, American Sports Network here, which I'm totally in favor of, let's talk about the fact that on Friday night, Boston College played Denver, two really good teams. Minnesota Duluth played Lowell, two really good teams. Hockey East and the NCHC have a package where they're supposed to, where they're going to get you know using the same network, they're going to get teams on TV, and uh, neither one of those games is on television. Wouldn't that be a perfect situation to do one of those six and nine deals? That sounds like the perfect teams and the perfect games for that. Like, that is huge right there. That is absolutely huge. Uh, and and it's a, it's a bit of a blown, blown hit there. So, yeah, again, again, let Eastern Bias produce the games. We'll do a much better job. I agree. Yes. I think so. Yes. So uh, what else is on your mind, Chef? We've got a little bit of time to kill before our next guest. Yes, we do. Uh, so we're, we're stretching it out here. I was going to say, uh, but I'll say two things, two things that popped into my head here in a little bit. Number one, I think Spectre is going to be a, a not great film. And I just want to say that and put that out there. Number two, when we were talking with John about uh, BC, uh, it brought up an offense BC has actually faced. Um, you know, and, and to make that things like that. BC, take out the side teams who've played uh, at most two games so far this year. Uh, BC has against three. Cleveland has beaten 50 shot attempts against in seven games played. Uh, the closest high was Merrimack between three, that internet 15, and BC at 30. They're still getting blown out of the water. I can hear you. Can you hear me? All right, you're. uh, We're having issues with you. I don't know if it's on your end or my end. We are. Can you hear me now? Now I can. Yes. Oh, okay, good. Because I can hear you fine. Did you hear my rant there about about uh, BU? No. Oh well, I was saying so. So BC, 253 shot attempts against. That's that's the second lowest number in the country. Uh, you got Merrimack at 283. You got Northeastern at 318. You got BU at 335. Uh, so BU's goalies aren't even facing that many shot attempts, and they're still getting blown out of the water. So that was that was a hard mark right there. Uh, BC's Corsi four 60.8 total. 
Um, and that that's that's not a bad number to be sitting on right there. That is fifth best in the country behind Cornell, who doesn't really count because they played only two games at 62.8. Joe's favorite Big Ten team. Big Ten team, Penn State, 62.5, North Dakota, 61.1, and Quinnipiac, 61 even. Denver's right behind BC at 60.6. Northeastern with a course of four of 60.3, which makes their record all the more enjoyable. Uh, BC is powerful. Who's in the bottom of the Corsi Hockey League right now? The bottom of the Corsi Hockey League? Arizona State at 33.8%. But the bottom of Hockey East Corsi Hockey League is New Hampshire at 44.3. So everything we think about UNH is validated. UMass is 45, by the way. Maine, 46.3. Notre Dame, 46.6. Vermont, 46.8. There's some bad teams down there, y'all. Um, what do you think BC's uh, uh, Corsi 4 percentage on the power play is? 67. No, no, 87%. No, ninety-three percent. Wow. How many teams in hockey do you think are better than B? Are better than BC? Two. That is correct. Merrimack at ninety-three point nine percent, and interestingly enough, Maine at ninety-three point eight percent. That's Courtsy Four on power play, um, and and that's just an interesting stat we like to throw out here. In even strength, BC six at sixty point three overall, which is the fourth best in the country. The only hockey East team of better than them. Northeastern at 60.5. So Northeastern is just a shocking, shocking heck of a team. Well, and it's amazing. They did this last year, and we asked a friend of the program, uh, Sean Hathaway, you know, if he thought this was some sort of stylistic thing with the way Jim Madigan coaches, and he said no, that it was, you know, maybe more of a luck, if I recall correctly. And Sean, if you're listening and I mischaracterized what he said, then I apologize. But I think this actually this might be even three years now. Oh, you know what? It was the total opposite two years ago. So maybe maybe forget what I just said. Uh, two years ago, they had they were getting dramatically outshot in every game, and it was just Clay Witt keeping them in every single game. And then the last two years, they've been outshooting yes. their opponents and just unable to find victories. So kind of strange. Just Northeastern always seeming to find some sort of Achilles heel and some fly in their game. Yeah. The- Yet, somehow they'll probably find their way into the Beanpot Championship game. Well, it's one of those years, isn't it? It is. It's one of those years. We we know what we're saying when we're saying it's those years. You Um, know, one of the years when BU plays against Northeastern. Oh, it is? I thought it was a BUBC year. Why did I think it was a BUBC year? Uh, I have no idea. Well, I was wrong. It's not a BUBC year. But, okay, so it's a BU Northeastern year. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, God, no. Are you now starting to make plans to make sure you can be in Boston at 4.30 p.m. on the second Monday in February? Well, you know, at least the drive home will be easier. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. We got to talk speaking of Northeastern, by the way, we'll get to this later, what I'm doing this weekend for the BU Northeastern series. Are you going Uh, to be there? not you're gonna laugh a lot when i tell you where i will be uh shall we bring in bring on our next guest first you're gonna tell me where you're gonna be i'll tell you later this is this is a tease joseph we need to keep the people listening all right bring him on bring him on our next guest uh from wmeb radio up in the uh up in orono in my home state of maine uh mike schumann 
Uh, here we go. We're going to tap him right in. I hit the live button, so he might be there. Mike, are you there? I am there. How you doing? Not too bad. How are you? This is Shep, Joe. You want to say hi? Hi, right, Thank you for joining us. <laughs> Glad to be on. So Back let's on the talk show. a little bit of Maine Black Bears. Let's uh, just launch right into it. They haven't won a game yet. When will they win for the first time? <laughs> Excellent question. Um, not for a while. Looking at their schedule, um, they've got a pretty, a uh, couple of pretty tough matchups going into the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, they got to play BC obviously this weekend while I'm, I'm on the show. But then they've got another matchup the next weekend, a home and home with number four ranked uh, UMass Lowell. So that's going to be uh, a heck of a game. And even then, their schedule doesn't get any um, much easier, especially with the way they've been playing. Um, so I, I couldn't really tell you. My guess would maybe hold out for Princeton at home at uh, at the Alpha on a Thanksgiving weekend. That might be their first win. That Ouch. is so pretty what's... far in the future. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's <laughs> incredibly tough to be a Maine hockey fan right now. After the promising start, they've uh, they've sputtered, to say the least. Oof. So, what, what you know, I thought through the first couple of games of the season that Maine looked okay. You know, they got the tie against Michigan State. They got the tie against North Dakota. Um, and then the wheels have fallen off. What's happened? You know, were they lucky to, to be competitive in those first few, or, or have things really just kind of gotten worse with the way they've been playing? Yeah, you know, I really don't know. I mean, in, in even both the Michigan State and North Dakota games, those are pretty fair. Those are fairly low scoring games. A three three tie uh, to Michigan State, one one to North Dakota, and even a one one tie at Union. But that's the thing that they can't score. They they they're last in Hockey East with, um, you know, in terms of goals scored. They're just they're not producing. They have ten goals in seven games. I mean, you can't win a hockey game if you can't score. And even our best players. Um, only ha- our, our leading goal scorer has three goals in the season. I mean, that's not going to get it done. And you know, while the, the defense might have lost, you know, a guy like Ben Hutton, a pretty veteran leader, and Jake Rutt. I mean, they're fairly new, but they're holding together. But at the same time, you don't score, you don't win hockey games. So I'm thinking that um, kind of the first season, the first couple games of the season, the energy of the tournament probably got them going. But after that, um, they haven't really been able to generate much on offense. Has probably been why they can't win. <laughs> pretty simple statement, I guess. Now, is there help on the way for scoring, you know, some freshmen that maybe might develop as the season goes on? Yeah, you know, definitely they had a, a big-time, um, you know, freshman class. In terms of goal scoring itself, um, you know, guys like um, Daniel Perez, uh, he had a goal uh, in their um, Capital City Classic game against uh, the comeback. Well, it should have been a win in my opinion, but a, the comeback uh, eventually losing in overtime to Mass Amherst. Um, but guys like Dane Gibson have scored their first goal. Um, so there, there are a couple of uh, first-year players who are, who are stepping into things. But really, there aren't too many guys who are scoring. And I think we're really looking at, um, for Maine at least, the you know your veteran goal scorers, guys like Steven Swavely, guys like Nolan Vizi. Those are the guys who are supposed to be leading the scoring, and neither of them have a single point on the season. Um, Swavely's taken the most shots on goal for the team, in like 20, he's taken 24 shots on goal, leads the team, but he hasn't scored a single goal, doesn't, hasn't even recorded an assist. I mean, so those are the guys that you really need to come, come through for you if you're going to, if you're Maine, if you're, you know, Maine's offense, but they just haven't been there. And I think that drought, there really hasn't been one guy that's been the catalyst for all their scoring. 
So, Shep, do you want to lead the discussion on maybe just bigger picture main stuff, like just the program yeah. at large? Yeah, so um, uh, in the interview that we're going to tag, as I said, I'll be nice. I'm going to tag it at, at the beginning of the recorded version of the show uh, where we, we talked, I talked with Mike McMahon about a lot of stuff. Um, we, we got into some stuff about Maine, and, and Mike is obviously a little bit deep on some recruiting things, and he talks to a lot of people. Um, and, you know, the discussion comes up of, well, where does Maine stand at, at this point, and, and what's the outlook there? And we discussed some of the, the issues we both think the program faces, namely, you know, location. It's not the best place in the world. It's kind of a little bit remote to some degree. It's four hours to Boston. No. It's a solid two hours to the closest Hockey East team. Um, and you know it's 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 out there in the woods a little bit, and the other being being the monetary factor, which probably feeds in off location. Location probably feeds into money and things like that. But you know there doesn't seem to be the quite the same level of funding there. And where you know teams like BC and BU have built large uh, large palace. Well, not BC has not built a palace of an arena, but BU has built a palace of an arena. Notre Dame's built a palace of an arena. Lowell has built a nice place. Merrimack even has built a really, really, really great place. And, and Mike hit on that a lot as a Merrimack guy. Um, you know, Providence has renovated its arena. You know, it kind of comes down to your tightest, your your, your sort of tightest arenas uh, or the, the the least modern places in the league might probably be Gutterson Fieldhouse and, and, and Alphon. And, and Mike uh, talked about going back into Reg Endron's office a couple of years ago at, at Alphon and saying, wow, and, you know, sort of being shocked at how old and how dated it was, you know, 15, 20 years old, um, and, and how that sort of impacts recruits and things like that and, and how it's not a uh, – not, not a, a – you know, appealing, and they they sort of see those things, and it doesn't seem to appeal to them. You know, they see a slightly older weight room, they see things, and it just doesn't really seem to click. So, Mr. Schumann, what are your thoughts on, on now, the state of the main Black Bears as a whole? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with all of those points. I mean, personally, I'm very <clears throat> biased when it comes to the Alphon. I love the old barn. I mean, it's got a great atmosphere, but I agree that it does need some uh, some TLC. Could use some love. Um, it is a very old building, and uh, you know they're, they're eventually going to have to do roof work because you know that can only take so many main winters before that roof starts to leak and fall apart. So it is an antiquated building, but I think it, it really does start with the money. Um, you know the the hockey program. I mean, main stretched thin period. Um, you know, and when hockey doesn't have the money like it used to in the '90s, when you know we were a national championship contender, and even in the early 2000s when we would make you know routine trips to the tournament. Maine got a lot more funding from our own athletic department because we were successful. And I think that allows, I mean, any program to go out and do more big recruiting trips and talk, talk to more people and be able to, you know, fly them in and all that stuff. And, you know, players that used to go to Maine are now going to the BC, the BUs, the Lowell's, even the Providence throughout the world are getting all the players that Maine used to be able to secure. And, you know, with an aging Grant Sandbrook who used to be the recruiting god under Sean Walsh, um, for Maine back in the day, you know, he's obviously he's getting old and he's not going to be able to do it forever. But yeah, I think being financially strapped and then the guys we do, we are able to bring back, you know, you, you hope you catch Maine on a good night when the student section's full and when they're winning. And that's just, that's been pretty hard to do in the last couple of seasons. So yeah, definitely the whole picture, but you know, it doesn't help us in the recruiting department, but definitely the money. I mean, it all, it, unfortunately it all revolves around money and um, you know, I would like to think that hockey is the cash cow sport up here. Um, you know, 
with with football being decently successful in the last couple of years, I you know that might begin to tilt a little bit, which which makes me disappointed as a hockey fan. But <clears throat> that definitely draws the funding away from the ice and from the Alphon side of things. I mean, do you think that? Do you? Th- I I you know I mean I say I think maybe it's falling behind. I think at this point quite far behind us, and and how long would it take to catch up, and what would it take to catch up? Well, you know, it, it, I know now that they're working, um, the hockey program's working with an endowment, and um, I, forget, I forget what it's called. It's, some, it's a challenge where, you know, we have some wealthy donors who are willing to match the donations up to a million dollars, I think, and just trying to reinvigorate that, that you know, the donation crowd, you know, the people who, the hockey alumni or, you know, who are passionate about Maine hockey to try to get them to donate to the program. And hopefully, in so by doing that, can raise some more money for the program itself, but <clears throat> I don't know of any other initiatives the university's taking to actually mend this problem. Um, that's that's the only real initiative that I know of uh, from within the you know from within the hockey mm-hmm. department itself that are that's you know working towards raising money. And I I actually I don't think we have we've heard of um, any like a status report in a while. So I know it was kind of a big deal last season when they said, oh, you know these so-and-so are willing to, you know, match this donation up to a million dollars. But other than that, I don't really know too much about how it's doing right now. They've been kind of tight with. That's probably not a good sign. Oh, it could also, you know, I mean, it's just, it is what it is. And <laughs> yeah. Like that. But my, my, my yeah, guess is uh, that's not the best thing in the face of the earth. And it's, it's not a good sign. I mean, switching to sort of a related gear, uh, because this sort of factors into it, money factors into a buyout, uh, is Red Gentron's seat hot right now? Uh, Mike, oh, of course. for him, seemed to think that that might not be justified, you know, and that sort of launched into our larger conversation of, you know, is it Red Gentron's fault that this team is 0-7-0, or, you know, is he a good coach, and this is really the reality Maine has to work with, and it's not the best reality on the face of the earth? Yeah, yeah, no, um, definitely not hot, but it's warming up fast. And I, I think that I'm not ready to hit the panic button just yet, but it, it, it could be it, it could be very close. Um, you know, I, I want to believe that Red Gendron knows what he's doing. He's won championships at every single level of hockey from high school to the NHL. He knows how to win. He knows how to coach. I, I really think it's the it's the lack of funds that you know he can't recruit the top notch guys. And you know, I mean, we don't have the Devon Shores and the Ben Huttons anymore. We don't have the stud goaltenders and you know Jimmy Howard and Ben Bishop. We don't have those guys anymore. And I, I really think that getting getting strapped with recruiting is you know is why that happens. And so you know I don't I don't know whether Gendron will if if this season goes south any more south than it already is. Um, I, I really think that a coach's job will be on the line. I don't know if it's Gendron's, but I think someone's going to go and they're going to try to reshape the way hockey does things. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I think that Red Gendron's a guy worth keeping around. I definitely know, think he knows what he's doing. It's just I don't think he has the resources. Yeah, I mean, and for so one of the sort of conclusions I've come to is do they, would they even have the resources to buy him out? <laughs> oh man, um, that's a great question. I I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I really couldn't give you a, a solid answer. Yeah, I no. mean, if they barely yeah. have the money to keep the program alive, then I don't know if, if they would. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, but and you know, I I think you really you look at it. You know, you're a 17, 18 year old kid. You know, you're coming in to look at these schools. You're looking for where you want to go play hockey. You go into Alphon. The atmosphere is great, but then you start poking around. You know, the scoreboard is starting <laughs> to show its age and things like that. The banners, even you know, the the the, the school banners don't look like yeah. they've been updated in years and things like that. You know, the concourses oh, yeah, are tight. Really- you know, and and down underneath is not does not look like things get a lot rosier down underneath there. Uh, you know, and and when you compare that to what what a lot of other schools are dealing with, even schools that aren't doing so well overall, you know, it's just not the same amount of just just not quite up to that same par. And you know, it's it's sad ultimately. It, it really is sad that that's that's where we have to stand at this point. If I if I want to get off my soapbox at some point here. Yeah, no, it, it is disappointing because, you know, even in the fan base, a lot of fans still expect so much success out of Maine. You know, we expect to be, you know, making a, a run at hockey, at the Hockey's Championship every year. That's something that Maine does. It's, it's I think it's hard for a lot of people to come to terms with the fact that Maine is, is a has-been program. They're they're yeah. old. They're, they're old news. And the last time they were really serious in the tournament was in 2007. Last time they even made it was in 2012, and that was when you know, um, you know, the Flins and Nyquists of the world were still at Maine. They don't yeah. have those that kind of talent anymore, and you know, people expect a lot, and they're like, oh, why can't we nail down any really good non-conference opponents instead of getting like Princeton and having to play non-conference series against you know Vermont and Massachusetts because no one wants to come up and play us. Where would they it, play it's into? Not, it's not worth it. Yeah, it's not worth it. You know, it. they're gonna. At, at, Sure, you could say they fly into Bangor, but that's not real. Nobody really flies into Bangor like in reality. I mean, maybe they'll fly into Portland at best, and then still have to drive two hours. Exactly. It's 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 making a stretch out of the bus league. I mean, now that you add Notre Dame, it kind of kind of goes out the window. But at the same time, it it really does. <laughs> it, we're quite distanced um, yeah. from a lot of the schools, and yeah, and especially if you're you know like I couldn't imagine for like Alaska Anchorage. I mean, you know, like four time zones. You're coming across the entire continent to come play. That, that was last season, and you know. Yeah, I so I mean, just yeah. I mean, that was a great series, but um, I mean, it, it's tough to really nail. Like last season when we had Union for our first home series, and that was a big deal. That the place was yeah. packed. I didn't think there were that many going to be that many fans to watch the Dutchman come up to play Maine, but the place was packed. I mean, there were those defending national champions. And they whooped us, but I mean, it still got the people there. But I just don't think they have the uh, the firepower anymore to land those kind of opponents, especially if they keep sinking like they are now. I mean, 0-4 and 3 isn't a terrible start. I mean, at least they have the ties. It could be worse. They could have lost every single game. But, I mean, it's not good. And, you know, while I think a lot of people figured Maine would kind of finish, you know, 8th, 10th, that kind of slot in Hockey East, I could very well see them slipping to the basement and kind of becoming the new generation of, you know, the rebuild team, the perpetual rebuild. So yeah. I, I I hope that's not the case. I hope they figure it out. But, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a has-been program here, and I, I hope they can turn it around. So that's a lot of optimism right there. Is there anything happier <laughs> you want to talk about? <laughs> Literally anything. You know, it's so hard with this team, this, especially with the schedule coming up. It's, it's really dreadful. Um, you know, the only thing I think that we can take away, the the best loss of the season was that 5-4 overtime loss to Massachusetts. You know, while they did lose the game, 
Um, they showed a lot of grit in that game. I think that was kind of the, the glimmer of hope. You know, Maine going up one nothing on a few Will Merchant goals, um, one of his two goals. He's the team's leading scorer with three. So you can see offense going places there if your leading scorer has three goals. But, I mean, they give up three goals in a row. They come back, give up another goal. They come back again and tie the game late. And, I mean, they lose in overtime off a really, you know, fluky goal. It was uh, Ray Pagosi slid one across the slot and banked into the goal off a defenseman's skate. But, I mean, other than that, the the team played really well. They, you know, battled through adversity. Rob McGovern, although he took the loss, freshman goaltender made 32 saves. I mean, they, they were looking okay. And I think the, the another thing is Maine has over 35 shots on goal in their last two games. I mean, that's something we don't see ever. I mean, Maine is usually pretty, you know, pretty reserved when it comes to taking shots, maybe staying in the low 20s. But they put 39 up against Princeton. Now, granted, it's Princeton, and Maine lost to Princeton, which is which is really rough. But, I mean, they, they took 22 shots on goal in the third period alone. I mean, that's got to say something. I mean, they're battling back. They were down a couple of goals. But, you know, that that's pretty much it. Like, this one game, you know, there's no wins to speak of. There are only a few ties, which were games that Maine could have won. But... I mean, there are there are a few games that you know you can. There are very few games you can look at and say, "Oh well, there's a glimmer of hope here." It's kind of being yeah. dashed out as the uh, as the season progresses. Well, it's really rosy, I guess. Um, we should tell <laughs> you now at this point that uh, we're we're going to probably open up our pool again. We had it last year with Northeastern. Northeastern win a game. We'll try it back out this year. We'll Maine win a game, and. Uh, Oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. It looks like it's going to be a while. Uh, wish the best. Um, and and uh, thank you for joining us again. It was great as always. Oh, well, thank you very much. Sorry, the, the cell signal is getting a bit choppy, but I think I got most of that. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be on. Uh, no, yeah, you it. To talk yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Uh, at MSU94, correct? That's right. At MSU94, Mike W-M-E-B. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Talk to you later. All right, bye. Excellent. So we, we got a BC guest in the books. We got a main guest in the books. We had Mike McMahon, who's just great to talk all things Hockey East at the beginning of the recorded version of this podcast. And now we're waiting on Matt from BU. Is that right? Yes, we are. We're him to pop in, and then the world is going to be great. And, uh, yeah. BU. I can't wait to talk about. I can wait to talk about BU. What time is he scheduled to join us? Uh, literally any minute. So let's talk about what you'll be doing this weekend. If it's not well, watching the play Northeastern, I want you to guess where I'm going. Is it a basketball game? No. Is it a sporting mm. event of any kind? Yes. Is it a Maine game? No. It's not in the state of Maine. I'm leaving Maine. I might be leaving New England. Oh, I think Matt is on the line here. I think we'll we'll patch him in here and see. Uh, we'll let him play this game, too. All right. It's not hey, a basketball game. Yep. What's up? Hey, Matt. What's up? It's Chef Joe is over here. Uh, we're playing a fun game called Why Will I Not Watch BU This Weekend? Um so we, what we've established so far is that it's not a basketball game and it's not in the state of Maine. So but it is a sporting event. It is a sporting event. So 
So what do you think I will be watching this weekend? Um, I don't know. Are you going to go back to Bridgeton and watch my old hockey team play? I'm I'm already here, and no, that's next weekend. Okay. So, are you going to the AAA Texas 500 for the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series? No, though that sounds fascinating. Texas Great Barbecue. I don't know. I got nothing, Chef. What is it? You got nothing? You were nothing. close with the B concept there, Matt. Okay. The, the B is involved here. Um, it's not in New England. It's a sporting event, and it involves the letter B. You guys really got nothing. I really have nothing, so why don't we just... I'm going to Buffalo to watch Jack Eichel. Uh, uh, two good alternatives. So, Do I have a problem? Well, you have other people to visit in Buffalo, too, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, no, right. not just for Jack Eichel. Okay, that that instantly becomes a lot more acceptable. It it is. It it's very much. In fact, it's not about Jack Eichel at all. Jack Eichel is just a tangential part of what is happening in Buffalo. Okay, that's fair because I think that you know skipping out on watching your team in person uh, to go watch someone who no longer plays for your team would have been a little weird. But I think we've got that all squared away now, and everything is fine. Yes. Yes, but I am going to go watch Jack Eichel this weekend instead of BU Northeastern to some degree. Who are the Buffalo Sabres facing? Don't know. Don't care. Excited to see Jack again. <laughs> Happy days are here again. That's how we start to talk to you. Uh, you've seen the team because I've seen the team. I think you're kind of breaking up. Which Shep. Why don't you try disconnecting and reconnecting or something? Because you've been breaking up throughout the show, and I'll try to start the interview. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Matt, while we while we wait for Shep to figure out what's going on, um, Shep gave his thoughts on BU overall this season, but they're not worth that much because I think he's watched BU play once all year. So, why don't you tell us what you think overall about BU's start to the year? All right. So, uh, I actually haven't missed a game yet, which is pretty impressive for me for I don't know last year I, I missed all of them but anyway yeah um it's been kind of up and down um I think goaltending has been a little bit of an issue and it seems like whenever they can get offense they don't have any goaltending and when they can get someone in that they can't show up on the scoreboard opening night in union was uh, kind of like a good example of this McGuire basically stood on his head he made five or ten unbelievable saves and they couldn't find the net. Uh, they got three, but they had a lot of chances and just couldn't bury it. Um, I'd say that's kind of been a story of the year. They've been getting chances, but they just can't finish. Um, power play's been looking good, and uh, it's good to see the scoring is a little spread out here. Um, Oregon actually only has one goal, but he still leads the team in points with seven. Um I thought Ryan Clunin's played pretty well so far. Uh, he got a goal last week against Denver. It was uh, definitely a good spark to get in with a goal quick against them, uh, less than two minutes in. And then other guys like uh, and Carlson and uh, McAvoy have been pretty impressive as freshmen. So that's just overall what I thought to start. Now, do you think the goaltending is going to improve, or do you think that you know, it just kind of is what it, what you're going to get right now with McGuire mostly and a little bit of Lacoubi. 
Yeah, I mean, both of them are sub 900 uh, save percentage right now. Um, I think once one of them steps up and takes the job over, then they'll like get better and stuff. Uh, we saw McGuire do that in 13 when O'Connor went down. Um, mm-hmm. Carried him all the way to the Hockey's Championship game and came within a goal of basically making the tournament out of nowhere that year. But yeah, I think McGuire, he is still kind of coming back from recovering from the injury he was on last year. So I think once he finds a stride, he can take over. And I just hope that both of them can like float the boat right now until one of them does step up. Can you guys hear me now? Oh, is Shep back? Am I back? Am I fine? I think we're, I think you're good. So Shep, we talked about BU's goaltending and some overall thoughts. Um, and it, so I'll let you pick up the interview from here since it is your team. But just wanted to let you know that that's what you missed. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, certainly Kerr was in the goaltending. All right, Shep, you're done. Shep, you're off the show. Good night, Shep. Can you not hear me? Can't hear you. You're gonna have to go. I'll 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 take this thing home. I can do it. You can do it. I can do it. Okay. Are you sure? Cause I'm I can't sure. You know up. what? I'm even gonna have Matt go with the uh, schedule for the rest of the weekend with me. Wait, what? What's happening to me? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, magically now your microphone is working. Seriously? Yep. I've done nothing. I've touched nothing. By the way, I can't hang up because I am the I'm the host. Oh, that's problematic. All right, well, let's hope that this keeps working for a little while. Uh, yeah. See, see if you can maybe actually have this interview work. Can you hear me now? I yes. got you. Okay, so I'm staying right here. We're going to sit here. I'm gripping. I'm literally gripping the table while I say that I think the, the goaltending situation is you're, you're correcting your assessment that Maguire will probably step up as the goaltender of, of of record at some point. And I think that's what the hope is, and that's what the sort of plan is. Did you guys hear all of that? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Good, 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 good. I don't know where I'm going from there, but I'm going to start there, and we're going to work our way back uh, from there. But, yeah, I, I think Maguire should should be the goaltender of record, though it does seem like, you know, I mean, I mean, Lacouve got the start against Denver, and did game ended up going to getting tied at 4-4 and going to overtime. But he did get the win. He did. I don't think any of those goals were really his fault. Uh, maybe the shorthanded goal if he could have controlled the rebound, but it was a pretty good also play to follow his rebound and score on that. I don't really blame the goalie anyway for that play. Uh, McGuire's game against Merrimack was pretty pitiful. Um, I think two of those goals he easily could have stopped. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, the Twitter conversation around that game seemed to be that, that – it, it, he was letting up some really, really soft goals, and that's what led to him getting yanked uh, eventually and things of things of that nature. You know, when I looked at some of the Corsi numbers a little while ago that I closed out of to try to make my computer be doing less and improve the quality of the stream and things of that nature, um, I uh, it seemed like B was B was doing pretty well overall in in not allowing shot attempts, which to some degree makes this uh, seem a little bit of a, like an like an interesting experience. Uh, where they're they're not allowing too many shot attempts, but they're still allowing a lot of goals and and leading to those low save percentages. Right. Uh, in that Merrimack game, he made ten saves and allowed four goals. So that's pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know the Corsi numbers, but that's bad. 
you know, like you don't need the Corsi numbers to say that's bad. But you know, exactly. But, but it, it just, I, th- I think it does point maybe to something, something larger. You know, they're, they're defending pretty well, but the shots that are getting through seem to be shots that are striking hard, or the goaltending is not, uh, not clicking and things like that. There. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Um, opening night at Union, he made 26 saves and allowed four goals. That was easily his best okay. game. Um, yeah. That's that's a problem when that's the best game. You know, it's okay, but that that's a problem when that's the best game. Yeah, exactly. And then his other game was UConn uh, a couple Saturdays ago. Two goals on and 16 saves. So, again, not great. But I think, no. I think one of those was a power play goal. Um, Lubeck Letnuov scored, or Latunov, I still don't know how to say it. I I thought it was Latunov. That's what the Yukon people have been pronouncing us when they when when Angry Ninety Nine Banner calls into the hot take hotline. Or is we right, we'll go with that. He's been saying Latunov. Not that I'm an expert on names and things of that nature. Um, do you think things will be getting better for BU going forward as we as we start looking ahead on the schedule here? Um, I think the Denver game kind of showed a lot. They played two really good periods, and then the third period they got outshot, what, 13-3 to three or something like that. And then to still be able to win that game, I think it can be a good springboard. For them. Um, the weekend against Northeastern, I, I hope they get three points. They should take four um, and hopefully get on a roll from here on out. Yeah, that would that would obviously be the desirable uh, opponent, especially with you know someone like Northeastern coming up. That's a little bit earlier than it's been. You know, the past few seasons it's been an end of the year um, matchup, which has been a lot of fun, and I'm kind of sad that it's getting moved to the middle of the season. But it's I think it's a it's a big series, obviously, especially for Northeastern, a team that's been shooting a lot but not scoring a lot, um, and it's been looking for some offense and looking to develop and things like that. And, uh, you know, and also for BU as they try to figure out where they stand. You know, we were talking at the top of the show, sort of doing a power poll, and I was waffling all over the place, and Joe was a little bit more decisive about where we think teams stand overall. Where do you think BU stands in the Hockey East picture at this point, you know, at 3-3-0 and overall? Um, I, I would say they're right in the middle of the road, basically where they are in the standings. I know not all the teams have played at least – well, they've all played one game at this point, but, like – yeah, I meant. I don't know. Yeah, they're like the overall. The road. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think by not, the end of the year, they're they're going to get home ice. Um, it might take them a while, and it might be one of the things like last weekend they got to get a point at Notre Dame to get the home ice. But I think they'll have a bye. Um, they'll be in the top four. I think that's look. You know, I mean, if we're thinking about the. Michael, you know, you're obviously not going to replace him, uh, and you're not going to replace replace, you know, Evan Rod. Well, you might be able to, but you cycle. He's he's an incredible next level player. But how do you think they're doing in sort of rebuilding uh, without Eichel and sort of developing as more of almost a, a broader team and things like that? I think they have. Um, they've definitely spread out the scoring. Um, there's a number of people who are within a point of O'Regan or a point or two. Um, Forsbacker Carlson, uh, Clunan, and then the defenseman getting into the action last week with um, Hickey and Cloud. He scored, and the weekend before, Fortunato had two goals. Um, yeah. I think like that's going to be. I think it's going to be a lot more like a, a bullpen by committee this year. A lot of guys are going to get into it, and if the. Um, 
like Bellagion and uh, like Seltz and those guys, Greer, and they can step up. Um, they'll be fine. I thought Matt Lane has definitely been the best player so far. Um, he scored the most. He leads the team in goals with three, um, which isn't exactly impressive, but he's definitely stepped up from years past. Yeah. When my uh, group right, so crystallize this before we go on to the next weekend schedule. Yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna close with this thought, uh, uh not a thought, but sort of a question. How much better do you think this team can get when Matt Grizzlick returns? I think it can be a lot better. Uh if you take out their worst defenseman, we'll say definitely for argument's sake, I think he's definitely behind the rest of them and replace him with Grizzlick, I think it can be a lot like I keep going back to 2006 this year when they got David Vandergulik back and they just kind of rolled. I don't know if it'll go on whatever it was that year, like 20-0-2 and streak. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think definitely he can energize the lineup. He'll definitely be a good boost. Well, Shep, we lost you again. Uh, I'm not sure what it's usually me having the technology issues and this time it's you so I apologize to the listeners out there you can blame the BU guy Um, Matt thank you so much for joining us Uh, we appreciate you taking the time on a Wednesday night and uh, maybe we'll have you on again later in the season yeah anytime thank you All right, take care so uh, I think I'm going to do the chef soft rock special here and run through the upcoming schedule for the weekend Um, so let's go ahead and do that so right now, uh, as we speak, the Northeastern versus Bentley game is wrapped. Excuse me, the Merrimack versus Bentley game is wrapping up. So let's see if we have a final score on that for the Wednesday night affair. Uh, we've got yes, Merrimack five, Bentley one, final. So victory for the Warriors. Uh, Friday night, Maine at BC seven o'clock, UMass at UConn seven o five, Lowell at Vermont seven o five. And uh, Northeastern at BU at 7.35. Those are your league games. In non-conference, you have UNH at Michigan State. And uh, interesting, Minnesota traveling to Notre Dame. Uh, That's at 7.35 p.m. And you can watch that game on Nesson through the American Sports Network. Saturday, 7 o'clock, BU at Northeastern. UConn at UMass. At 7 o'clock also, UMass Lowell at Vermont. At 6.05, Merrimack at Canisius. At 6.35, Minnesota at Notre Dame, a game that you can watch on the NBC Sports Network. And then at 7.05, UNH at Michigan State. Then we wrap it up with a Sunday game. Everyone loves Sunday afternoon games during the Patriots. Uh, You've got Maine at BC at 1 o'clock in front of probably 12 people. Uh, And then I guess this is part of the weekend. You have Army, or Army West Point, I suppose, at UConn on Tuesday night, November 10th. So that's your week ahead in Hockey East. Um, some interesting games on the slate. I think certainly BC versus Maine. Um, from a BC perspective, you expect them to keep up the you know keep up their good start to the season against a team that has struggled. Uh, so we'll see if they're able to do that. I think that Lowell's trip to Vermont could be a tricky one. It's always tough to travel up there and play two games. And uh, I think Vermont is a better team than they've showed, so they should be putting up a good fight. And then Minnesota at Notre Dame, you know that could be interesting as well. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to for the hockey schedule ahead. We, but also worth noting in uh, women's hockey, we have the first BC versus BU matchup of the season uh, on Saturday 
at 3 p.m., and that is at the Walter Brown Arena. So uh, in case you're not interested in watching BC football lose again, which would be entirely understandable, you can go check that out down the road at BU. Uh, BU returns the trip to BC. Uh, I believe it's a weeknight game. It's Tuesday, uh, November 10th, so the, the next Tuesday coming up, BU at BC at 7 o'clock. Uh, there are no other games in women's hockey East that matter this weekend because all the rest of the teams are terrible, um, except for Northeastern, and Northeastern plays at Maine, who is terrible. So that's it. That's all we've got uh, on this late of games that anyone can really care about there. Um, and that's our weekend to come. Uh, and I think that pretty much just about wraps up our show. Uh, I see Shep tweeting at me, um, saying that he's playing one shining moment, even though the even though he's cutting out. Uh, no, I can't hear you, Shep. So uh, I apologize for the technical difficulties, everyone. Um, this has seemed to happen the last two weeks, and it's been the two weeks that I've been here. So clearly it's my fault. The good news is next week you'll have Dan Rubin back. Um, Dan Rubin will be here to talk about BC's senior night uh, football game against NC State and start the two weeks of looking ahead to Notre Dame. Uh, hopefully BC can come out of Saturday's game with a victory and you know, be able to feel some optimism going into that game. Uh, Eastern Bias podcast will return in our usual pre-recorded form next week for episode 42. And if you enjoyed the show, or if you didn't enjoy the show, but think it could maybe have potential if we like didn't try to do it on the fly and have technical difficulties, uh, you can go to www.easternbias.podbean.com. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Eastern Bias or follow me at Joe Grab. Um, or you can subscribe to our show on iTunes. So I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. It's been fun as always. And uh, on behalf of Shep Hayes, as well as our guests, John Risch, uh, Matt Rezins, um I'm missing one. We had yeah, Mike Schumann from uh, WMEB Radio. I appreciate you all listening. There's also Mike McMahon as well. Uh, thank you all very much. Have a good night. And uh, we'll be back to talk about it again all next week. I have to end it.